0: Good morning, church family. Good morning to all of you that have tuned in online. We are grateful that you're here today. Open your Bibles with me or turn it on, if, we, if you will, to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4 is a continuation of sorts of the story found in chapter 3. It's kind of like a television show. You know, sometimes the television show, they'll, if it's a series, they'll leave you hanging, and you've got to tune in next week to see how it all turns out. That's really what's happening in Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4. Chapter 3 <clears throat> ends like this. It says chapter 3, verse 17. <clears throat> the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation have completed the crossing on dry ground. That's how the third chapter ends. In other words, it says the whole nation has made it over. The whole nation is finally on the other side of the Jordan. Now, think about this for a moment. After 40 years of wandering, after 40 years in the wilderness, they are now finally in the promised land. It must have felt surreal to finally stand in Canaan. This is the place they had dreamed of for 40 years. This was the moment they had longed for as they walked around the desert year after year and watched generation or or, or family after family die. This was the fulfillment of the ancient promise that God had made to Abraham. And now their feet was actually standing on the land of promise. And it must have been an overwhelming experience for them. And that's how chapter 3 ends. The people of God have their feet on the promised land. But before we get too caught up in the marvel of the moment, we need to realize that there's actually some people still standing in the riverbed. Can you tell me who they are based on verse 17? Who are the people still standing in the riverbed? The priest, exactly. And so let's pick up the story and see what happens. Because not everyone is out of the river yet. So we pick up the story as we begin reading in Joshua chapter 4. We'll read the first three verses. When the whole nation had finally finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Joshua said to the people, God had instructed him, now he says to the people, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pick out twelve guys, one from each tribe, I want you to go back into the Jordan, and I want you to get a rock. And we're going to carry it over to where we're going to spend the night, and we're going to use that rock to make a monument. Now, I got this rock out of a river. It was not out of the Jordan River. I actually got this rock out of the Nile River when we were in Uganda back in 2014. Uh, we were walking around the, the Nile River, the headwaters of the Nile River, and I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. I've always heard about the Nile River, and here I am in, in Africa and and I'm just going to take me a rock. And it was really, it's just a souvenir. That's all it is. It's, it's just a souvenir uh, to, to remind me of a fun day in the Nile River. And the Lord told Joshua, I want you to get 12 men to go get a stone. But it, it was not to be a souvenir, nor were the stones going to be small. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men who had appointed, who, let's try again. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. So notice these must have been big rocks. You're going to put the stone on your shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. And in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So, verse 8, the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them, and they took 12 stones, 12 large stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Now, don't miss an important thing here. There were 12 men, each from the 12 tribes of Israel, who were to pick up 12 stones. And the Bible says that these 12 stones were to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Can I just highlight for you the obvious? This was a significant moment. This was very significant. It was significant to the people of God of that day, of course. They were the ones that were crossing over the river. They were the ones that were leaving the time of wandering and going into the promised land. Watch this. Just like it took a miracle to get the people of God out of Egypt, he parted the Red Sea to get the people of God out of Egypt. It was another miracle parting the Jordan River to get the people of God into the promised land. It was a miracle that got them out of Egypt. It was a miracle that would lead them into the promised land. And God said, we want to make sure that you never forget this. We want to make sure that you and the generations after you always remember this moment because this is such a significant time in your life and in the nation of Israel. Those stones were to be a memorial to remind the people of what God had done. It was not just about crossing a river. They were crossing into the promised land. The mighty miracle that God wanted them to remember forever. So it says in verse 8, they carried them over there uh, with them to the camp where they put them down. This significant moment. Can you imagine, by the way, if you had, by the way, they carried them the place where they camped. We'll see in a few moments was a place called Gilgal. Gilgal was somewhere in the neighborhood of two to eight miles away. We're not exactly sure where Gilgal was located. We know He said that Gilgal was two miles east of the Jordan. But when they crossed the Jordan, they went to Gilgal carrying these large... How would you like to carry a boulder two to eight miles? And so they carried... The reason I say this is because when it says at the end of verse 8, so they carried him to that spot where they put him down. I think they put him down gladly, don't you? They, they, They put him down. And this was a significant moment for the people of God, to be sure. But here's what I don't want you to miss. It was a significant moment also for the generations that would come after them. You see, stones don't normally stack themselves. There would come a day when their children would see this stack of stones. And because children are naturally curious, they would ask the question what do these stones mean? Do your children ever ask you any questions? Especially if you've got little kids, do they ever ask you any questions? Come on, talk to me. Do you ever ask questions? Of course they do. According to a Harvard-based child psychologist, Paul Harris, he said that a child will ask around 40,000 questions between the ages of 2 and (laughs) 5. In one afternoon. I mean, they're just full of... When they're young like that, they're trying to process their world. They're trying to learn everything. They're trying to put things together in their mind. And so they're always... You get in the car, they got question after question after question. Why do I have two eyes if I only see one thing? Why do you have hair up your nose? If dreams come true, mommy, what about the bad ones? Daddy, do frogs have friends? I mean... Kids just have all kinds of questions. And I thought when I first read this that 40,000 from the ages of 2 to 5 was kind of high until I saw another study from the UK that said that kids average asking 73 questions a day. If you figure that up, that's 26,645 questions a year. But some of you said it sounds about right. Joshua apparently knew that kids are naturally curious. And he said, listen, we're going to stack these stones up. And when your kids ask questions, here's what they're going to ask you. Verse 6. What do these stones mean? And dads, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. In verse 7. Dads, can you tell me what the next two words are, at least in the NIV? What are the the first two words in verse 7? The kids ask in verse 6, what do these stones mean? And the first two words are what? Tell them. Tell them what? Tell them the story. Tell them the story. Watch this. When your kids ask you a question about God, he said, tell them. Tell them the story of what God did and how God provided. Now, what he did not say was, tell them you'll make an appointment with Joshua next Monday so he can explain it. That's not what he said. He said, when your kids see the stones and they ask the question, what do these stones mean? Tell them the story. We have a sacred responsibility to help our kids understand the experience that we've had with God so that they can experience God for themselves. May I put it to you this way? We have the responsibility as dads and as parents to tell our children what God has done for us. And the best place for them to learn who God is and what God has done is in your home. They are your kids. They live in your home. And Joshua said, when they see those stones and kids are curious and when they see the stones tell them tell them the story of what God has done now what bothers me is that some parents don't have anything to tell them they don't their walk with God is so superficial and so shallow they don't have any stories about how they cross the river with God they can't say to their kids let me tell you how God meant and needed my life because they're not walking by faith or obedience they can't say, let me tell you about a prayer that God answered in a miraculous way because they're just not praying really that much. Parents, can I say to you, with, I mean this with a heart of love, you've got to follow God over the river before you can tell kids what God has done for you. You can't pass on what you're not living. Your kids don't need a perfect parent. By the way, my kids don't have one either. Your kids don't need a perfect parent. They just need to see a parent... Who is genuinely striving to live for God? So tell them, tell your children the story. Tell your children the story of how God answered prayer for you. Tell your children the story of how Jesus rescued you from a life of sin. Tell them how God's faithfulness, God was faithful to you in a trying time. Tell them how you saw God do amazing things. Tell them the stories and then tell them again, and tell them again, and tell them again. Because the best place for your kids to learn about trusting God is in your home. You say, I'm convinced that your greatest accomplishment in life, husband, wife, father, mother, your greatest accomplishment in life will be passing on your faith to the next generation. You can't choose God for them, but you can tell them about God's faithfulness. You can't Make them follow God. But you can tell them how real God is to you. So tell them, he says, the story. And I want you to see how important this is to God. One of the things I became convicted of as I studied chapter 4 is how much God cares about the next generation. Fast forward the story with me. Look at verse 19. They're finally out of the Jordan River now. They, they, they have gone to the place called Gilgal to set up camp and look what happens verse 19 on the 10th day of the month the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border border of Jericho now let me stop there for just a moment it's interesting that in verse 19 Joshua in telling this story gives us a date on the calendar the only time he does that he, he tells us it was on the 10th day of the first month now why would he give us this date on the calendar on the 10th day of the first month because if you read in exodus chapter 12 verse 11 the 10th day of the first month was the day that the passover lamb was selected that was the day that you would go to select the passover lamb the 10th day of the first month. Now, they had not been celebrating Passover during the wilderness wandering. They hadn't celebrated Passover for 40 years, likely, when they were wandering in the wilderness. But now that they're on the other side, now that they are in the promised land, they still are not yet going to celebrate Passover. But on this day that would normally be celebrated as a holy day, there was another holy event that was occurring. And let's read about it. Verse 21. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What did these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. I want you to notice something that I'm not sure that we often see. It's in verse 21. It's written differently than verse 6. In verse 6, it says, In the future, when your children ask you. You see that in verse 6? In the future, when your children ask you. But in verse 21, he says, In the future, when your descendants ask their father. Father. In other words, this is not just about you, nor is it just about your children who who will hear about all of this, but this is such a significant thing that it will impact generations to come. Did you know that you can do something when you are really trying to walk with the Lord? Sometimes you can make a decision that will not only affect your life and it will not only impact your children, that it could impact your children and their children and their children and their children for generations to come. If you decide to follow God, if you decide to obey God, if you decide to serve God, it could impact your family for generations. So Joshua says, listen, in the future when your descendants ask, what do these stones mean? Just want you to understand that living your life for the Lord can change your family for generations. Generations. The most indelible legacy you can ever leave is the legacy you live before your children. And it could have such an impact on their lives that it impacts their children and the children after them and the children after them. Or let me say it to you another, another way. God wants you to leave something behind that will outlive you. In the future, when you're descendants, you won't even be here anymore but your descendants will still be living for the Lord. You won't even be here anymore, but your descendants will still be asking those God questions because it started right here when you crossed the river with God. Verse 21, let's read it one more time. He said that the Israelites in the future, when your descendants ask their father, what did these stones mean to tell them? Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord, your God, dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord, your God, did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And I wonder, this this is just speculation now, I wonder if there was ever a time as generations past as they kept telling the story as they kept looking at the pile of stones and answering the question what do these stones mean I wonder if maybe those parents some sometimes didn't turn to their kids and say you know what there, there's another pile of stones just like this one and the kids would say really? oh yeah there, there's, this, there's another pile of stones 12 stones just like this one where, where are they? In the middle of the Jordan River. What? Yeah, yeah. there's another pile just like this one. In the middle of the Jordan River. Ah, come on. You're kidding me. No. There really is. There's another pile of stone just like this one. In the Jordan River. Now, I want you to see that that conversation is speculation, but the fact is biblical. Go with me to verse 9. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 in the NIV is a little bit hard to understand because in verse 9 it says, Joshua said to the Israelites, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong chapter. Chapter 4, verse 9, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant has stood, and they are there to this day. If you're not reading that very carefully, you'll think that Joshua set up these 12 stones at Gilgal, but yet it talks about him setting up those stones at Gilgal in verse 19 and following. So what is it referring to in verse 9 that Joshua set up 12 stones? Well, this is where it helps to read it from a different translation. Most of the translations, other than the NIV, most of the translations translate it something like this. Verse 9, for example, from the New American Standard says this. Just listen to it. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. King James translates, translates it much the same way. Let me read it one more time. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan, at the place where the feet of the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. You see, there are, I believe, two heaps of stones. One you see, and one you would never see again. And they are both witnesses that God honors faith, and that God works on behalf of those who trust Him. The twelve stones at Gilgal serve as a memorial to what God has done for His people as they cross the Jordan River. And the twelve stones that are in the Jordan River serve as a marker to mark the place where God made it all possible. Now, Old Testament stories often illustrate New Testament doctrine. You see, Israel's crossing the Jordan River is a picture. A picture of believers who are dying to the old life on the other side of the Jordan and entering by faith into a new life that God makes possible. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Hear that again. Think of it in terms of the people of God on the other side of the Jordan now with their feet on the promised land. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. The people who were standing in the promised land could say this I had an old life, and now I have a new life, and Jesus or God is the one who made it possible. I had an old life of rebellion, I had an old life of disobedience, I had an old life of failure, but now I have a new life, a life of blessing. A life of God's graciousness to me. And the thing that made the difference was there was a place where heaven touched earth. There was a place where God made a way and where God did the impossible. There was a place where God opened up the way from my old life to the new life. And it doesn't take a, a, a scholar to understand for the New Testament Christian, there's also a place where God did that, isn't there? There's a place called Calvary where heaven touched earth. A place where God opened a way for me to move from my old life to my new life. A place where my life of failure and rebellion can be forgiven and forgotten and I can cross over into a new life that only God could make possible. The story of crossing the Jordan is not just a story about going across a river. The story about crossing the Jordan is the story of us walking away from our old life and walking into a new life that only God could give us. And to mark the place where God did the impossible, Joshua put 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan. Two piles of stones, one in Gilgal, to mark the goodness of God. To remind the people of the power and the faithfulness of God. And another one in the Jordan that nobody sees. Except you know. And God knows why it's there. Before we leave today though, we need to go back to the Jordan River for a moment. Because there's still some people in the Jordan River in the story. Do you know who they are? Can you guess who they are? The priests. They're still there. Let me show you this in the text because it's a beautiful story. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they revered Him all the days of His life just as they had revered Moses. I told you on the very first day of this series that this book really is a book of transition, right? It's a transition from Moses to Joshua. And here we see that in verse 14. This day God elevated, He exalted Joshua. And now they trust Joshua just like they trusted Moses. It was a transition that occurred during this crossing. I also told you it's a transition from the old... wandering in the desert to now going into the land of promise. And that's typified for us in verse 14 as well. But then let's keep reading. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the ark of the testimony to come up out of Jordan. Because they're still standing there. You know why they're still standing there? God said, Go stand in the middle of the Jordan. So that's what they're doing. They're standing in the middle of the Jordan. God finally says, Now command them to come up out of the Jordan. Verse 17, so Joshua commanded the priests come up out of the Jordan. Now watch verse 18. Don't miss the beautiful truth of verse 18. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. The old life Forty years of disobedience, the old life of wandering, the old life of death was buried when they watched the water come across those twelve stones. wonder if they ever went to the edge of the river any after that just kind of looked in again just speculation i think i would have i think i would have occasionally gone down to the jordan and just looked into the jordan at where we crossed over knowing that those 12 stones are down in the middle of that river remembering what god did to bring us across to make it all possible And I just, in my imagination, wonder if some of the locals would look at the people of God who are standing there and thinking, why do they keep staring at the river? See, you need to understand, unbelievers do not know what you know. They have not experienced what you have experienced. They don't understand what you've understood, what you understand, because they've never gone through what you've gone through. They haven't experienced the blessings that you've experienced they've got no frame of reference for for them that's just a pile of rocks to you it's a reminder of your god's faithfulness so i wonder if they ever went there and stood by the river and just looked in nobody else knows it's there god knows it's there And they know it's there. And they can remember what God did there. I've gone back to Clifton View Baptist Church before. Little white church on the hill, Johnson City, Tennessee. And I stood down front and I stood at the spot. Where God opened a way when I was 11 years old. And I crossed over from the old life to the new life. And everybody else that came that way, that's just a piece of carpet. But for me, for me, that's where heaven met earth. That's where God opened a way. That's where God showed me I could have a relationship with him. That's where God did the impossible. He parted the waters. And I walked out of my old life into a new life. And I want you to have that experience too. But more important than that, God wants you to have that experience. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone. The new has come. I don't think you could have a more powerful picture of the old has gone than standing on the edge of the Jordan River and watching the water rush down again. And the old life on the other side of Jordan is over. And you turn around and now you are in the promised land. And the new life Is before you. Friend that is a picture of salvation. I don't care how bad your old life has been. I don't care how much you have messed it up. It doesn't matter how much pain. You have put your family through. The old can be gone. And the new. Can be opened up to you. But it won't be because of what you've done. It'll be because of what God has done for you and you have accepted it and followed him across the river by faith. See, there was a, there was a relationship you were born for, but it's a relationship you don't have because of sin in your life. It's a relationship with God. It's a relationship we all long for, but it's a relationship some people don't have because of sin in our lives. For The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a relationship you were born for, but it's not a relationship you have until you receive it. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was a time, there was a place where heaven met earth, And it was at that place where God opened the way for you to have a relationship with him. But it's a relationship you must choose for your own self. You have to decide that you're going to trust God. You have to decide that you want a new beginning. You have to decide that the Lord God will be your God. You have to decide that you're putting your faith in him. And when you make that decision and when you express your faith in Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for your sins, you can cross over from the old life of rebellion and the old life of failure and the old life of mistakes and the old life of broken dreams and you can cross over to a new life that only God could give you. I just want you to experience it. The life that only God could give you. You bow your heads with me? I want you to be able to say, I was on one side of the river, and now I'm on the other side of the river, and God is the one who made it possible. See, when God's people went into the promised land, you need to understand, it was a land that God gave them. It was a land they did not deserve. It was a land of blessing. It was a land from God. And God wants everyone to experience that. God wants you to experience that. So today I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to turn to God. Turn away from sin and self. Turn your back on the old life and say, God, I'm walking with you from this day forward. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that somebody today would say, yes, I want my sins wiped out. I want to have a new life. I'm tired of this old life. I'm tired of the life I've been living. I'm tired of the failure. I'm tired of the shame. I'm tired of the heartbreak. I want a new life. So I'm crying out to Jesus, asking Him to forgive me of my sin and come into my life. And to give me the new life only He can make possible. Father, I pray somebody today would cross over from death to life. And may the Lord Jesus be honored and glorified through it all. It's His his name I pray. Amen.